listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Man, good stuff. Y'all grab a seat. So glad you are in worship with us this morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And hey, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can use your phone, obviously, or in the seat back in front of you. If you're on the front row, sorry, you're out of luck. But in the seat back in front of you, there's a black Bible as well. We'd love for you to use that. And if you don't have one, man, take that home. Let that be your Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 3 here in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. Man, enjoyed worship this morning with you guys. So one thing that I, I try to do, maybe you've picked up on, but typically when I'm understanding a passage and even uh, when I'm preaching, I, I try to understand the big idea of the passage as a question and an answer. And some of y'all have picked up on that. I try to, at the beginning of the sermon, at some point, ask the question. And I, for even my own sake, if I can't, with a particular passage, a natural unit, if I can't like, state and write, out the que- like, write it as a question and then the answer to that question, I, I personally feel like I can't quite understand it. And so that's really important to me. But what's fun is the question of the passage is what drives the tension for the sermon. Or maybe I, it's hopefully what draws you in because we all have things that we wonder about and that we wrestle with. Like, how do I do this? Or what does that look like? Or why should I do that? And so the question helps drive the tension. Does that make sense? Helps hopefully draw you in. So the cool thing about that is if I do that well, man, the tension, the, the felt need that you're feeling and what maybe uh, entices you to listen is based in Scripture, and that's a good thing, right? Right? But sometimes what's difficult is the question that I feel like the, the text is answering doesn't seem like a felt need, meaning so when I like go to present the question, it feels like, man, I'm not sure anyone's going to really care to hear that, <laughs> which is discouraging as, as a preacher because like, I want you to lean in and want to hear it. So if I feel like the, the question is not really um, provocative and doesn't stir your spirit, doesn't stir your emotion, I'm prone to be like, well, that's, I'm not struggling with that. And so today's question was kind of how, that's how I was feeling. I'm going to go ahead and just right out the gate just very um, explicitly tell you the question. I think the question of this, of this passage we're going to look at, Ephesians 5, 3 through 21, is what does it look like to live intentionally as a Christian? What does it look like to live intentionally as a child of God? Now, using that word intentionally, intentionally. <laughs> what does it look like to do that? And, and just a little background again. So we're in this part of Ephesians where... Uh, in the first three chapters, Paul laid out the gospel, the fact that we were not just like okay, okay people. No, we were dead in our sins. We were God-haters, rebellious, deserving of death and separation from God in a place called hell. But God in his richness and his mercy and his goodness and grace sent Jesus to save us, to pay the price for our sins, so that we could be saved by grace through faith if we would turn to Jesus. So the first three chapters really outline that. And then in chapter four, we saw he began to really talk about, so because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, here's how you should live. 
And so today is kind of the continuance of, of that idea. Because of Jesus, because of the gospel, here's how you should live. But again, when I ask that question, I feel like that's kind of the question Paul's continuing to answer is, what does it look like to intentionally live, to live intentionally as a Christian? I felt like that is like, wasn't really stirring, wasn't really provocative. And I was sitting in my office right over there. I felt like the Lord kind of leaned in and was like, just because you don't feel that doesn't mean it's not an important question. <laughs> I think so often that doesn't feel like an important question because most of us don't wake up asking ourselves, man, how can I live intentionally as a child of God today? Right? Most of us don't do that. We just kind of wake up and we maybe check our phone or whatever. We're not waking up thinking, man, how can I pursue Jesus? How can I live out my identity as a child of God? We don't do that, but we should, right? We should be doing that. The problem with not doing that, with not intentionally living as a Christian, is we always drift towards the wrong things. Think about it. If you've ever been, if you've ever been whitewater rafting, um, before you, they should do this before you get in the raft. Normally, they'll, the, the raft guide, who's your, like, your guide leader, will call you around and circle you around himself. And even if you've done it five, ten times, they'll go over the basics of what you should do right? Because they know once you get in your raft, if you just like sit there, you're like, cool, man, you're going to drift towards bad things, right? Whether it's uh, going off a waterfall or like going towards what they call a strainer. So it's where like rocks and tree limbs have gotten stuck together and water can flow through it, but humans don't flow it through it so well. And so you could drown. That would be bad, right? Um, so he, he gathers the raft, the raft crew up, whoever's going to be in the boat, and talks through, hey, here's what you should do, because our boat is going to drift towards the class five rapids. And if you fall out, you're going to drift towards the bad things. So here's what you need to do, because whether you like it or not, you're in the raft. <laughs> and he would also tell you, like, not just your life depends on intentionally paddling, but even the other people in the raft that you're with, their lives depend on you, like, paying attention and paddling and being intentional. It's the same way with the Christian life, right? We drift toward what is dangerous or what is even sinful and evil and wrong. And it's dangerous for us, but because we're in this as a church family together, our lives, the way we live, can endanger other people. So we have to be intentional. I love what D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament scholar, uh, says about this idea of drifting. He says, actually, I say I like it. It's actually kind of a punch in the face. <laughs> he says, people don't drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people don't gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. <laughs> we drift toward superstition and call it faith. This is kind of a wordy sentence, but it's good. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. <laughs> we slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. <laughs> right? That's a gut punch. Maybe a little more simply, Jerry Bridges in his kind of classic book, uh, The Pursuit of Holiness, says, as we tend to become soft and lazy in our bodies, we tend to become soft and lazy spiritually. That's true, isn't it? 
You don't just accidentally become more like Christ and live like him. It takes intentionality. And so all of a sudden when I think about that, the question, what does it look like or what should it look like to intentionally live out my faith as a child of God, that's, that's pretty relevant, right? I, I need to think about that. A couple things before we dig into the text. This is not an exhaustive list that Paul gives us here, but it's a good place to start. <laughs> it's a really good place to start. The second thing, as we go through the text, you're going to see these are commands. So they're, they're, they're things that he's telling us to do. But as we, in a moment, as I go through and, and our guys in the back put the points on the screen as we're walking through, you're going to see that I've, I've stated them as declarations. And here's why. I think too often we do. We kind of, we, we slouch through our Christian life. We mosey through it. We're not really intentional. We too often play the victim card. And so this morning, I want to call us to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and I'm going to get serious about living out my identity as a child of God. I'm going to be intentional about living my Christian faith. Are you with me? All right, let's dive into the text. Chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Out of place. It's like if someone cooked up a good steak dinner for you with all the fixings, and they like also alongside that offered you a gross, stale bowl of Lucky Charms. <laughs> you would be like, get that trash out of here, right? What is that? It's out of place. It doesn't belong. But instead... Let there be thanksgiving. So here's our first point. Number one, as a child of God, I choose to walk in the purity of God. As a child of God, I'm going to choose to walk in the purity of God. What, what Paul's saying there is, is I should look more and more like Jesus. I should begin to fight sin, to try to kill it, get violent with it, to get it out of my life. And particularly, did you notice, he, he's kind of focusing on sexual sins because like from the beginning of mankind to today, it tends to be a problem, sexual sins. They're kind of like common among all of us. He says, sexual immorality and impurity should not even be named among you. The word for sexual immorality there is pornea. So the idea is that any sexual sin outside of a loving, committed marriage relationship between a man and a woman, anything outside of that is sinful and shouldn't even be mentioned among you. So <laughs> that's pretty straightforward, right? We're going to get into some application in a second, what that looks like, but shouldn't even be like talked about among you. And he says, there should be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude Joking, And he says, instead of like talking dirty in course, instead, your conversation should be filled with thanksgiving. It doesn't mean that like, you know, it's pouring rain and lightning and your game got canceled and you're like, well, I'm just grateful to God for everything. Like, it's not saying to, be, to lie about those things, but to choose to be thankful instead of talking dirty. I mentioned Bray, Jerry, excuse me, Jerry Bridges a second ago. I love what he says about this idea of of choosing purity over sin. He says, one day as I was reading scripture, I realized that my personal life's objective regarding holiness was less than that of the Bible. 
The Bible says, in effect, make it your aim not to sin. As I thought about this, I realized that deep within my heart, my real aim was not to sin very much. (laughs) Can you imagine a soldier going into battle with the aim of not getting hit very much? (laughs) We do that, don't we? Well, today I'm I'm, going to slip up. It's going to happen. No, the goal of the Christian should be to walk in purity. We're not going to be perfect, but I should be striving to be like Christ in every single way and not just slouching in my sin. He's got a point. The goal is not to just, is to not get hit much. It's to not get hit at all to pursue purity in every single way. So the challenge is it's time for us to get serious about fighting sin, and particularly sexual sin. If I could like invite us all to lean in for a second. There, there's a line right here on the stage that uh, is kind of here. We have this problem in our culture of thinking that as long as, don't worry, don't worry, parents. I'm not going to go too far here. But <laughs> young buck, trust me, it'll be okay. <laughs> we, we have this idea that as long as I don't cross the line of technically having sex, that everything is okay up to that. And so, like, here's this little imaginary line. And we're, like, walking in. We're, like, hey, I'm not crossing the line, God. Is that avoiding and fleeing sexual temptation when we do that? Absolutely not. It's not. So many couples come into marriage and they're like, well, technically, yeah, be careful. Technically, we haven't had sex, but they still wonder why they're broken and confused and there's some emotional baggage because God didn't say to walk along this imaginary line. He said to flee sexual immorality and pursue purity. Are you with me? Man, some of you this morning may need to, like, I'm not talking about married people here, but maybe you need to end some, a relationship that you're in because, like, you're, you're playing this game of walking this line that doesn't really exist. <laughs> and you just need to get out of that relationship. To married folks, here's, here's the reality. Affairs start in the heart and the mind way before they start in the body, physically. You tracking with me? <laughs> Maybe there are some relationships that you need to end or to be more careful about as a married person because, again, affairs start right here. Right here. Man, there's not a more widespread and detrimental sin to really the the nation, but particularly the church, than pornography. The word pornea there, you can see where we get the word pornography. Y'all, pornography is not a harmless sin. It's not a controllable, controllable sin. That's like acting like you can have this pet lion in your house. It may be cute for a little bit, but eventually the lion is going to turn on you and kill you, right? Lions don't make good pets. They destroy you. Have, trying to have like the pet sin of pornography will destroy you. It's, it's not a sin that God's like, oh, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal to God. Maybe some of us need to quit following certain accounts on social media or to even like to like... Crazy, I know. Maybe just get off social, social media like completely for a while so that we can pursue purity and that it wouldn't even be listed among us. <laughs> now, if you're out there and you're like, well, you know, like, I don't know, Brandon. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Like, it's, it hasn't hurt me so far, like, living in the sexual sins. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, contraire. <laughs> Listen to what Paul says. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous 
that is an idolater, so someone that they, they worship something more than God. And in this case, probably with the context, he's probably talking about worshiping and desiring sexual pleasure more than God. You may be sure they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is, this is a warning. He's not saying that if you've, done one, if you've sinned one time, you've messed up one time, that for sure you're not going to heaven. No, rather he's saying that someone who chooses to live this lifestyle of sexual immorality over and over and over again proves that they're not a child of God because it shouldn't even be mentioned among his children. I, I feel like I should say this because we don't say it enough in church, just like young people hear me. Sex is a good gift from God. Amen, married people? <laughs> is, it, is it awkward to say amen to that? Sorry, we're going we're gonna to grow in that. Um, <laughs> sex is not, I remember uh, our, a church back in Florida, the pastor was actually at Lauren's home church, shout out, but their pastor was quite a bit older man, and uh, he did a commercial one time, and uh, he was going to do a series on sex, and it started off him saying, Sex is not a dirty word. <laughs> it was super awkward. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> you guys are like, this is awkward. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So, young people, <laughs> we're not saying that sex is evil, it's from the devil. We're saying that in the confines of marriage, you've heard this illustration before, a lot of you, that it is a good thing. It's like a fire. A fire in a fireplace in the confines of a fireplace is awesome. You take it outside the fireplace, it might burn your house down, right? <laughs> It's the same, same thing with sex. Inside the confines of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman, it's a great thing. Outside of that, it'll burn your life down. So just to clarify, we're not saying that, like, God created it, so it is a good thing. But he's saying when you worship it over God or when you use it how God didn't intend it to be made in, in a marriage relationship, it's gonna hurt you. It shouldn't be a part of God's people. So he says, Verse 6, so don't let someone deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of, disobedi of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So don't let people trick you that it's not a big deal. Sexual sin, sin in general, is a big deal. <laughs> People are going to experience the wrath of God because of it. So he's saying, as believers, as children who are supposed to walk in the purity of God, don't partake in that lifestyle. He's not saying that we can't have a relationship with people who are living in sin because like, we're all sinners and lost people need to hear about the goodness of Jesus. But he's saying, don't partake in that lifestyle. And at the end, you can help me here, at the end of verse, at the end of verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, What's he say after that? But what? <laughs> but now you are light. Do you again see how Paul ties our actions back to identity? Do this. Walk in purity. Because you're not supposed to walk in darkness. Because you're children of the light. As a child of God, I choose to walk in the purity of God choose to walk. I'm going to get up every day and choose to walk. I'm not, I know I can't be perfect, but Dad, I'm going to pursue purity. It's the first declaration we need to make this morning. 
Now, in the rest of verse 8 and continuing on for a little bit, Paul's going to kind of continue to unpack this idea of children of light. Jump in with me. About how, We'll just uh, read verse 8 again. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So he's saying, come on, you know what the difference in darkness and light is? Uh, when you're walking in the light, man, your, your life begins to have the good things. You could even like reference it to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, that you begin to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know what the light is. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What would honor him? What, would, what is God's desire? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let me pause here for a second. Do you see? So it's not just that we don't walk in the darkness, which we shouldn't, that we don't partake in crude talking and sexual sin and, and, and sin in general. It's not just that we don't do that, but what's he say? We should also, what? Expose them. Now let's stop for a second. It doesn't mean like, I remember uh, I worked at a summer camp Right after I graduated college, before I moved out to the great state of Texas, and uh, we had, it was called Fuge. Some of y'all have been to different kinds of Fuge camps, but uh, me and one of the other guys in the band, at night, sometimes we like to be on MOPO. What is MOPO? MOPO is called Makeout Patrol, because it was all these, <laughs> it was all of these, like we'd have three or four hundred, sometimes the big week, 600 middle school, high schoolers that came to camp, and so me and uh, another guy in the band, we would get on uh, the golf cart, we, had, we made this really lame-looking flag that said Mopo on it. And we would hang it out the golf cart, and we would just drive around the camp with flashlights. And if we saw a guy and a girl sneaking off, we would just start going, woo, Really bad si siren right there. And we would come up to them and, like, flashlight their face, like, where are you guys going? Like, we're just going to talk about Scripture. I'm like, you liar. <laughs> You're not going to talk about the Bible. Get back over there. And it was more so just really fun. But Paul's not saying that that's how we should live as Christians. You're just like getting up today and you're like, all right. Like, I don't know what, it's not just mopo, but like, I'm on sin patrol today. If anyone sins, I'm going to call them out, you little dirty sinners. Like, that's not what he's saying. What is he saying? We, we expose it, and I'm going to clarify what he's saying in just a second. He says we should expose the sin because it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Isn't it interesting? So many dark things happen in the dark. <laughs> right? So my parents, you have, like, it's not a stupid thing to say, like, nothing, nothing good happens after whatever time you say, right? Like, hopefully it's not like 5 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad things happen in the dark. So they do things in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. I mean, I love that. So the idea is that light has the power to transform things, doesn't it? And so you shine the light on it, and it becomes light because light transforms. That's, that's the idea that we're supposed to do is not just to walk in the light and to pursue goodness, but as believers, we shine light amongst each other and on a lost and broken, dark world. Because light has the power to transform. Think about this. I, I had a, I'm not making this up, true story. One of my uh, doctoral professor buddy guys, he, um, 
he told a story about his, grand, his grandfather, who one of the one times he heard about his grandfather and grandmother getting in a fight uh, started this way. The grandfather was walking home from work. He lived in Canada. Walking home from work, it was terribly cold, snowing. And on his way home from work, he was pa- it was late at night. He was passing a car dealership. And there in the car dealership sat this beautiful vehicle. And as he walked, he thought, here I am, <laughs> lowly walking through the snow, freezing cold, when I could be driving home in a heated vehicle. So he went up and took a look at this vehicle, and it looked pretty good, pretty amazing, actually. He, like, he thought, not only is it a good price, man, this is an incredible car. So he, he went in just kind of by chance to the dealership and knocked on the door, and sure enough, there was actually a salesman still there. So he, he was thrilled. He ended up filling out the paperwork, was going to buy the car. He just had to come back the next morning to seal the deal. So he, he went home, finished walking home, and he got home and told his wife, hey, it's incredible. I found a vehicle. I'm so excited. I'm, we're going to buy this car. And she immediately was a little skeptical, as she probably should have been, right, um, to go from not talking about buying a vehicle to, hey, I bought us a car. So he said, hey, you're going to love it. Let's go down tomorrow morning. Let's go see the car. So they went back down to the dealership the next morning. He was beaming with pride, walked into the salesman and was like, hey, where's my car? I want to see it. And the salesman said, yeah, you, you just walked past it. The car you bought was right there. And he said, this thing, no, this is old and like beat up. That's not my car. And the salesman, no, I, I assure you, take a closer look. That's, that's your car. And it, sure enough, it was the same car. And the whole time his wife was back there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened? And this true story. The car didn't look as attractive in the light, right? Sin never looks as sexy or attractive or appealing in broad daylight. <laughs> as Christians, we're called not to just like point out how dirty everybody is, but to expose sin for what it really is that it's not near as appealing and fulfilling and attractive as Jesus Christ is. That's what we're called to do as Christians amongst ourselves and to a lost and dying world. I think about if you've been to the mountains, at nighttime, the mountains can be pretty terrifying and like, like almost scary looking at them. But then when the light of day transforms them, all of a sudden you're like, man, those mountains are filled with adventure and fun and excitement. Still some danger there, but that looks enticing. Even as Christians, we're called not just to, to call out sin for what it is and to expose it, but to even bring things into the light to say, man, I think your perspective here is wrong. Let me shine some light on this for you to see. You don't need to be afraid, but you could actually be excited about what God's fixing to do in your life because we're shining and transforming light on it. Man, so this means that as we seek to shine the light of God, not just to walk in it, maybe it means that you know your, your buddy's doing some things he shouldn't be doing. And for you to say, hey, bro, I know you've struggled with this for a while, but if you keep doing that, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt the ones you love. You've you got to stop. Maybe it's talking to that girl and saying, hey, I feel like the, the thought pattern that you're in, the way you're allowing your thoughts to get the best of you is really detrimental to you. And I, and I love you, but let's shine some light on this of what Scripture says about taking control of your thoughts. Maybe it, your, your friend's going through some dark times and it's just saying, hey, I want to I be empathetic and get down in this hole with you and say, yeah, this is a dark place, but I want to help you fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Maybe it's in the conversation that you're having with your friends. You're driving in the car somewhere, and you're like, hey, guys, I hate to be that guy, but our conversation as believers, this is not a good conversation. <laughs> like, I'm going to expose some light on this is kind of a dark conversation. Let's start talking about things that are going to build us up and that glorify Jesus. That, that may be a, a little churchy the way I said that, but there's a way to do that without condemning people, but to shine light on it. As children of God, we need to choose to shine the light of God. And I love in verse 14, Paul, he quotes, uh, most likely most commentators think this is just a New Testament hymn that maybe even uh, Paul wrote. It says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's actually talking to believers who may be stuck in the darkness. Because again, he's calling us to shine the light, but it's kind of, by the way, remember, light transforms. So believer, if you're stuck in the darkness, why don't you get out of that darkness, out of that sin, and walk towards Christ and let his transforming light shine on you. So it's, again, it's that we walk in the light, not the darkness, and that we choose to shine the light of God. But the reality is, easier said than done. <laughs> Takes intentionality. I think that's why Paul gives us this third thing. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's the third thing. As a child of God, I choose to walk in the wisdom of God. I choose not to be foolish, not to waste my life. He says, because the days are evil. You could just spend your days wasting them away on trivial or sinful, evil things. But instead, I should, instead of being foolish, I need to understand what the will of the Lord is. Choose to walk in the wisdom of God. Isn't it amazing how when you know what's at stake and you know you have limited time, you become a little more focused. I think a way to, to think about this is if you've been to the airport and you're flying and you have a long layover somewhere, don't you automatically become kind of casual? Like, and, you, and you end up doing trivial, trivial things. Like you'll go to the little, I don't know what they're called, but the little, like, like Hudson News or something. You go in the store and you'll look around and you're not even hungry, but you'll spend $8 on a bag of almonds, Right? And then later, you're like, I don't even like almonds. Why did I get these? <laughs> or, you know, $5 on a smart water or whatever it is. Or you mosey on over to an electronic store, and you don't need anything, but you're just like, pretty sweet speaker there. You're like, you, have, you, don't, you don't know how you're going to get home, but you're like, that's a nice speaker. Um, you'll, you'll go eat food. You may even, like, wander into different terminals, and, and then, oh, yeah, like, I need to get somewhere. But isn't it funny how when you have a tight connection, well, your spidey senses kick in, Right? <laughs> And you're like, I'm about to stiff arm people on the way to my terminal, to my gate. And the people that are like, skiz the car, please. You're like, I'm about to spin move around you because you got to get somewhere. Because you know, one, you have limited time. And two, there's a lot at stake. Like, you don't want to be stuck at DFW forever, right? The same is true in our lives. When we, if we should realize that our time is limited. Our time on earth is short. And we need to make the best use of our time because there's a lot at stake, like namely people's souls, <laughs> going to heaven or to hell, us becoming and being transformed to the image of God. So he says, make the best use of your time. 
So that means what we should do is we should just spend hours and hours and hours binge-watching Netflix, right? No, it doesn't mean that. I'm not saying Netflix is bad. We like Netflix. <laughs> but I, I'm not going to waste my life doing that. It means that I'm not going to make the first thing I do in the morning, check my social media to see how many likes and comments I got. No, that's a waste of time, and it's going to set my heart in the wrong direction. I'm not going to do that the last thing before I go to bed because it's going to set my heart in the wrong direction. No, I want to make the best use of my time. I want to be wise to, to live how God has called me to live because I know that my time is short and there's a lot at stake. So I want to do what will be what is the will of God. I want to do what I know he's told me to do. I think a way to think of this is uh, Liz Bohannon. She is uh, the founder of, I think it's called Seiko Design, and a huge worldwide company now. But she said, life is not about finding your passion and your purpose. It's about building your passion and your purpose. Y'all, as believers we're, believers, we're called to build our passion and our purpose based on what God has already, we know what he's already told us to do, to love him, to leverage our lives, to, to use our lives in such a way that other people can see the love of God, to seek justice, to seek mercy, to seek righteousness, to make the best use of our time. As a child of God, we need to declare, I'm going to walk in the wisdom of God. Are you with me? Now, when you think about the purity of God, walking as the light of God, and walking in the wisdom of God, that can be overwhelming. Amen? <laughs> like, I think about going from not really thinking about those things to going, man, that's a lot. <laughs> that's exactly why this last one is so stinking important. Verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Time out for a second, by the way. It's kind of a fact, right? No one has ever gotten drunk and then been like, you know, after I got drunk, the decisions I made just really helped me grow as a Christian. <laughs> you know, I think I really was just pursuing purity and walking in wisdom as I was drunk. No! So he says, don't get drunk. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We're going to get into how this is helpful for the first three in a second. But be filled with the Spirit. Spirit is not like, ooh, Casper, it's Halloween. No, like the Holy Spirit, right? We said this before. But the Holy Spirit is not this like gargoyle up in the top of the venue and worship gets good. He's like, let me fly down up on y'all people, right? Like, let me bless you. No, the Holy Spirit, as Christians, he resides within us. We, Richard and I went to high school with these girls and they had this dance. They were like, oh, I was thinking of that. I was thinking of the Holy Spirit. Anyways, <laughs> as, as believer, the Holy Spirit lives within me, Jesus says, to guide me into truth, to help me live the Christian life, to comfort me. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is going to be our, this last, like, fourth thing, which is as a child of God, I choose to be filled by the Spirit of God. We're going to kind of camp out here. This will kind of be our, conclu our conclusion. But I want, I want to tell you up front, um, I think this is, it is an interesting wording, right? Be filled with the Spirit. Um, and one of the most helpful things I've come across with this passage was a sermon by Andrew Wilson. He's a pastor at King's Church in London. And uh, so I just want to give credit where credit is due. He's, he's kind of helped me understand this. Um, anyways, that said, when you think about 
being filled with the Spirit. That, that's a weird phrase, be filled with the Spirit. So first of all, it's kind of weird because it makes me wonder, like, am I, like, leaking as a Christian? Like, am I leaking the Spirit? Like, as I sin, like, a little Holy Spirit comes out, and I got to, like, all right, come back and get some more Spirit because I have all these holes in me. That's kind of weird. But it's also weird because he says, be filled. That's a passive verb. A lot of these have been, or these have all been active. Do this, do this. But be filled is passive, which is a weird verb. So if I told you to text your mom, you understand that. But if I said, be texted by your mom, you would be like, I don't know how to do that, right? So how can we be filled with the Spirit? A helpful way to understand this is in Greek, uh, there's one word for spirit or wind or breath. Same word. So when he says be filled with the spirit, it's not that I should try to be like a Yeti who's just indestructible. I'm never going to leak. I'm never going to spill. No, it's more like, I was going to use sailboats, but we live in West Texas. We don't have any sailboats around here. So I'll use a kite. Be more like a kite that catches the wind. It's filled with the wind. And as the wind blows into the kite, the kite gets a power that it did not have on its own. So as a Christian, as I'm filled with the, quote, wind of the Holy Spirit, I experience a power that I don't have on my own that enables me to walk in purity, to be light, to walk in wisdom. You may ask, like, so is this, a, is this an experience, something we experience, or is it, are there things we can do to be filled? The answer is yes. <laughs> it's both. Here's what I mean. It's an experience that we experience like a power beyond ourselves, and it requires habits and like things you do. So to fly a kite, you don't just drag a kite out, the, which actually the wind in Lubbock is strong enough. This may would work. So it kind of breaks down there. But you don't just drag a kite out in the yard and just stand there, right? Like again, the wind in Lubbock could probably could pick it up and like take it to New Mexico or something. But um, there's things you do. You want to make sure that the kite has some good, I haven't flown a kite in a long time, but like some good bars or whatever it would be, like, like sticks to hold it together, right? Stop laughing, Lauren. Um, and then you want to have the right string and you want to catch the wind appropriately and you're going to let it out slowly, right? Because if you have too much slack, it's not going to catch. So there's some things you do to, to catch it, or let it out slowly so the wind can catch it. But then once you've done some of those things, the reality is you've positioned the kite so that the wind just takes it. And it experiences, again, a power beyond itself. I want to, oh, that's for next, sorry. Um, yes, I'm going to read this, sorry. It's from Andrew Wilson. He says, if I don't have the habits to catch the power that's coming from beyond myself, I might not go anywhere or experience anything. The art of being filled with the Spirit is the art of attentive responsiveness to an external power. So I'm not earning it, but I'm carefully learning how to govern and guide this thing called my life in order to make best use of where the Spirit wants to take me. It's pretty good. So again, I want to create habits in my life, things that I do that help me to harness the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden, I experience this comfort in my life that maybe I haven't sensed before as he speaks to me the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> or I experience this guiding in my life where he says, hey, maybe you should go talk to that person or why don't you join that class or why don't you actually, you should head on home today a little early 
to have this conversation or whatever. He begins to guide me. Or he begins to empower me to be bold. So all of a sudden, it felt like I was falling flat on my face and sharing the gospel or even trying to share the gospel. And all of a sudden, you experience a power beyond yourself, the Holy Spirit in you to give you a power to share the gospel. It doesn't mean they're going to get saved every time, but to give you a boldness to share the gospel. What are some of those habits to help harness the wind and to be filled with the Holy Spirit? One of them is to dig into the Word. Amen? That as I dig into scripture, I begin to hear God's voice. As I begin to learn to hear God's voice in his word, I can also begin to, to hear and kind of tune into God's spirit within me speaking to me as I read God's word. It, I think part of being filled, a habit you can do, is just to ask God to fill you. God, please fill me with your spirit today. Guide me, comfort me, teach me, lead me, empower me. I want to I experience your power outside of my own. And actually, it's really cool. Paul even gives some things you can do, I think, to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, he says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Haven't you noticed, I'm not talking about just being touchy-feely, but haven't you noticed so often as we sing together, you're, you sense the Holy Spirit working again. He's not the gargoyle that flies down over you. But the reality is as we sing and worship together, the Holy Spirit does convict. He does empower. He does comfort. He does remind that Jesus is a way maker. Amen? As we sing, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. As I choose to have a thankful heart and a thankful life, I begin to position myself and to, uh, yeah, in, a, in a way to harness the Spirit in my life, meaning I begin to position myself to drive out bitterness and anxiety and stress and to actually hear from my Savior as the Spirit speaks to me as I choose thanksgiving. And then he says, I know I'm moving fast, 21, submitting to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the reality. A lot of us don't experience the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, filling, because we won't simply submit to earthly authority. And if you can't submit to someone you can see, or an earthly authority in your life, how are you going to submit to the Holy Spirit that you can't see? So he says one way to practice being filled with the Spirit and following his leadership and guidance is to simply submit to the authorities that God has placed in your life. <laughs> I definitely would not have thought of that, <laughs> that connection. That as I follow the leadership and authority in my life, it, it creates um, a tendency in my life to a tendency in my life to follow authority, and primarily the authority, the Holy Spirit, as He guides me and leads me. As I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, man, He enables me to seek purity, to seek to be light, and to, to be able to walk in wisdom. Y'all, as a church body, it's time for us to quit just kind of drifting through our Christian life, wherever the river takes us, and start saying, hey, I'm going to intentionally paddle. I'm going to start going where God wants me to go. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be light. I'm going to be wise, and I'm going to be filled. <laughs> Too many of us come and do church. We just kind of hang out, and we forget that we're supposed to be church, to to again, to be pure, to be light, to be wise, to be filled. It's time to start getting intentional about living as children of God. So this morning, two ways I want you to respond. In a second, we're going to come and uh, the team's going to come. Actually, you guys come on up for a second time, actually, sorry. Um, and they're going to lead us just kind of a melody. Yeah, medley, that's the word, a medley of songs. 
where we can just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and to work in our lives, to, to guide us, to comfort us, those sorts of things. And I want to ask you to sing that. Make that your heart's cry. Ask that God would help you to, start, to begin to be intentional in how you live and not just kind of mosey through your Christian life, to, but to be intentional about pursuing him and being pure, being light, being wise, being filled. And if you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus, you've never gone from death to life, you've never confessed to, to God that you're a sinner, that you're a rebel against the King of Kings, but that you acknowledge his grace and forgiveness offered to you through the cross and that you want to turn to him for forgiveness and hope and life and purpose. Man, if you've not done that, I'll be at the back during these few so, uh, kind of medley of songs and would love to talk with you, love to pray with you and just discuss what that looks like to commit your life to Christ. Church, let's be pure, let's be light, let's be wise, and let's be filled. Y'all pray with me. God, help us to be intentional, to pursue you, to not drift through life. I pray that as we sing this song, these songs, Lord, that you would just, and you would, you would fill our hearts. <laughs> like it says in Ephesians 5, that as we sing, that we would be encouraged, not just to, as we worship you, but that you would fill our hearts. God, I pray that what happens in this moment would cause us to look more and more like you every day of the week, not just Sundays. God, we love you and trust that you're going to work during this time. Cheer and we pray. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of The Venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to The Venue Podcast.